You are listening to Checkbox Outreach, a podcast that showcases excellence and raises awareness of current issues from those who are directly impacted, but typically not at the table. Now, here are your hosts, Aaliyah Gaskins and Katie Leonard. Hi, welcome to Checkbox Outreach. This is Katie. And this is Aaliyah. And today we are joined by Christina Francis. We're going to get into her background, her journey, and her ideas for business and Black moms. But before we get there, the one thing you need to know is that Christina is not afraid to try something new. She is willing to kick down every door and bring others with her. So welcome to the show. I am so grateful to be here and connect with you again, Katie. Let's get started. Yeah, I'm so hyped. Like, and I just want to publicly, as publicly as I can possibly be now on this platform, when we talk about Black women supporting each other, when we talk about people who've gone through the journey and are putting their hand back and bringing other people with them, that is 100% you. I mean, from three years ago, we I was just telling Aaliyah, we were strangers. And just the people you've introduced me to and the things that you've taught me and the platforms that you've put me on has transformed my business and what I've been able to do. So I just think you are the picture of that and you should be celebrated for that, if anything else, that you are just the the picture of Black Girl Magic. So thank you for everything that you do. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I mean, meeting you and now meeting Aaliyah as well, it's just natural. Like I can't, when I meet people, I'm always like, oh, I got to connect them with this person or that person. And especially people who are just bring gravitas and, and a dynamic approach to everything that they're doing, which you did. You know, I think when we met, you were still working at your job and you had this vision that was really bold at the time. And I was yeah. like, you got to do it. And you not only did you do it, like you created something out of nothing and just brought other people with you as well. So takes one to know one. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for the conversation. So Going into your background is tech, mm -hmm. clearly entrepreneurship. You are an angel investor. You're leading the way in great funds. Tell us about what you're working on right now. We'll kind of do this a little bit backwards than we normally do. Mm -hmm. But what are what are you working on right now that people need to know about? Uh, yeah, so I'm working on a lot. But it, what I'm grateful is that everything I'm working on you know, goes back into what I feel like my purpose is right now. And that is to make tech entrepreneurship and then family balance as accessible as possible uh, for black and brown women, since I am one. Um, so kind of kind of four, four specific things is one is I have an IT consulting business where I'm specifically helping companies capture government contracts, partner with technology firms, uh, and then hire more diverse tech talent. Um, I'm also the board chair for Black Girl Ventures, which uh, started by Shelly Bell, another dynamic, awesome individual. Um, and she's focused on creating access to capital for black and brown women entrepreneurs. Um, we'll talk probably about that a little bit more since there's a lot of activity going on uh, with, with that organization. I'm also a partner at a new fund uh, that's mid-Atlantic focused. Uh, we are raising a $25 million fund that specifically provides capital to early stage companies in healthcare, education, GovTech. Uh, and then I'm also a podcaster uh, with Get Found, Get Funded. And Katie, you were on uh, an episode probably two years ago now. Yeah, so um, but, long ago. Wow. I know. Uh, but then that we focus on really making uh, venture capital, angel investment more accessible. And so we talk about stories and, and help to match um, founders with uh venture capitalists or angel investors and or just anyone that they can partner with to scale, grow and move their business forward. 
so those are all the exciting things I'm doing right now. And I'm also a mother of a 13 and an 11 year old. And I've been a teacher, a uh, supplemental teacher for the last <laughs> couple of months. Um, yeah. So and a wife we're of an really, awesome black man. Love it. We're super focused on clearly community development issues. And one of the things, a conversation that we had yesterday for an episode that will air in the near future is really about community wealth and black wealth mm -hmm. and the wealth mm -hmm. gap among black and brown communities. And yeah. in the space of VC and venture capital, when you look at that friends and family round, you know, when we don't have the wealth to pull from to even be ahead of the game when it comes to business, it's a it already puts us at a disadvantage in the business space. So mm -hmm. can you speak to a little bit about how the work that you're doing directly impacts black and brown communities? Like, why is this needed? Yeah, I'm going to start with I just read this last week and it's just sat on my heart. So literally, I've said this quote, like five conversations this week, and it's that women reinvest 90 percent of what they make into their family. Right. And so you look at that 90 percent and you want to make sure that women in general, I'm speaking from that perspective, just because that's what I deal with a lot. Um, we need to make sure that women mothers have money, whether that is equal pay with the jobs that they have, better paying jobs to support their family. And if they're starting a business to actually have the funding, not just to start the business, but to pay themselves. Right. I know yes. and I work with a lot of women who have started businesses and they don't give themselves a paycheck. Right. And, and we can't do that. We can't afford that because we're missing out on generational wealth building. I, I think even in that, we've got to teach people how to, um, you know, not to spend their money, to save their money, to invest, reinvest their money, whether, again, they're reinvesting in their children or their business or somewhere else so that they're making more money on the money that they invest. So I think all of this comes together. Uh, that there's another component around just health, um, you know, in clinical trials, only 6% of those clinical trials have people of color, specifically black people. And health right now is an area where particularly black women are not, that our health is, is typically bad. And part of it, because we don't put ourselves first. And by the time we get sick, you know, it's, it's costing families a lot. And not only from the medical perspective, but they may not go back to work or they may stop their job or they may, you know, not continue with their business. And and then they don't have succession planning in that. So the the whole wealth, per, you know, perspective, it's so layered for me, but it starts with making sure women have the money that they need to do the things that they do. So when they do reinvest it, it's invested uh, appropriately and they have the amount that they need. I love how you brought up the connection between health and wealth. I think sometimes we don't we don't always pay attention to it, and not only from the point of, you know, just making sure you have the resources to be able to pay for medications, to afford healthy food, to live an active lifestyle, but also the mental health um, mm -hmm. aspects that come along with when you're stressed and you're worried about where's your next paycheck coming from? Will yeah. I have enough for my family? So I think it's so important that you emphasize that. I do want to go back to something you said um, earlier about the need for making sure that we're, you know, not only getting money, but we're reinvesting our money. And I was struck by, you said, one of the jobs you do is you help entrepreneurs follow the money and find the money. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what that looks like and some best practices you've observed? You know, the best practices, I, there's no one size fits all, right? So I want to say that. Um, so there, and there's two parts to it. I will say this, the one thing that I've learned and will tell everyone is, is if you're starting a business, make sure you have a customer base and, and build your your uh, business based on real customers. 
Not it your family, hard. not simply your family. Not, <laughs> not, not simply your family. You know, I think it goes back to business fundamentals, right? You know, imagine that there is no venture capital. Imagine that there is no friends and family. If you have a business idea, you need to make sure that it is sustainable from the beginning. You need to make sure that you have people that will buy your service. You need to make sure that you have your messaging correct. You need to make sure that if you are partnering, you have a manufacturing distribution, distribution, you have that in order. I think, uh, and this is not just for black and brown entrepreneurs. I think in general, people are starting businesses without really understanding their business model and their structure and how they're going to make money. So the one thing is even before you have access to any capital, make sure that your first capital is a customer. Um, and that, that is something that I'm, I'm really pushing and helping people to look at. One of the things that I've noticed is in just an educational perspective, uh, entrepreneurial education, people may not understand how to actually put a pro forma together or understand how to put their business model together. And I would urge people if they don't to reach out to someone who can help them with that. Um, that will save them a lot of time. Uh, I think on the, the other piece is how to make, how to be, how to actually obtain angel investment uh, educate yourself on what is out there in your local community. Um, talk to people who may be customers. Talk to corporations. Uh, supplier diversity is a, a huge area that we're really pushing. I think, you know, when we talk about how corporations can help is open up the supplier diversity uh, aperture. You know, look at can you put more feminine products made by black women in, you know, the bathrooms of a, of a business once those open again? You know, can you have more food and beverage companies participating in corporate uh, events? Um, you know, can you help style the people that you work with using stylists and makeup artists? And then there are also a, a whole bunch of other uh, companies that companies can or organizations can work with. But I think to your question, uh, best practices. One is to know your business. The other is to ask, right? Reach out, get it, not just advice, but the people that are in the areas that you want to be in, talk to them, understand the trends that are going on, understand the buying patterns and trends of corporations or the customers that you're working with, the consumers that you're working with. Um, and then, it, you know, don't be afraid to build the right team around you. I think the other thing that I noticed in the journey of getting money is that people are doing it alone and not building the right team. Uh, it is really critical to have uh, the right folks around you, those who can sell, those can do content creation for you, um, those who might have a different spin on it. So uh, many does that answer things? Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. I'm like, take, I'm like sitting here like, oh, my gosh, this is great. This is great. But in terms of the team, for me, mm -hmm. one of my biggest lessons was the people that I expected, Aaliyah, we were just talking about this the other day, the yep. people that I expected to be there for me or that I had anticipated being there for me, 99% of them weren't, right? Like it was all great when they were, yeah, this is a great idea. You're doing a great job with this idea. And then when you go from idea to reality, a lot mm -hmm. of people fall off and it's people, the strangers you meet, like how I met you that are the most impactful. And so you have to be open. The other piece, especially for women, and I'll speak for myself is I was afraid of money when I started out. And I, one of the books I highly recommend to everybody is by Jen Sincero. You are a badass at making money because I remember sending or putting together an invoice and it was a deposit and I want to say it was like $4,700 and I was afraid to send it. And I literally sat here and almost was like, maybe I should call the client and say, is this okay? Like, should we break uh -huh. it up for yeah. you? And so I had to learn my value and 
going through that work and that self-work to yep. really be like, you can send the invoice. I can send an invoice like nobody's business right now. Like you owe me money. I don't care how <laughs> much it is you're going to pay me for it. But I had to come to terms with what I thought I was worth and then being able to ask people for money. And that's one of the foundational things that is women and as black and brown women, we typically don't do that because we're taking care of everybody else, like you said before. I mean, the shame around money in the black community is crazy. You know, it's, you know, and I had to come to grips with it myself as well. Like I have never wanted to owe anyone. And so I don't like to borrow money at all. Um, and in, when you in the business, sometimes you have to you have to yeah. do that. Right. Um, and so I think that to, to the question as well, one of the things is to really know your relationship with money and work through that shame of money, whether it's shame that maybe your credit score is not as great as it should be. It is OK. There's a way and a, and a plan to work towards increasing that. Maybe you are afraid to, you know, um, ask people to pay a certain value, but know that your business is not you. Your business is the service or product that you're providing. And there is a value. How much does it, it take you to make that, you know, and, and honestly putting down, here's how much it takes for me to get this done and making sure that you're comfortable with that. Uh, and, and not to sell yourself short. A lot of times people price their products because they're like, oh, I don't know. Like you said, like, yep. I don't want them to pay that much. Yep. If it, if you're not making money on it, it is not a business. It is not, you know, you're not making profit. You've got to put that into play. And so we do a lot of work around, and when I'm working with businesses, just around understanding where people are and what understanding my thing is I want to find that fear point. Is it fear of, you know, success? Is it fear of failure? Is it fear of asking people? Is it fear that you don't know if your product is actually going to be successful? or you don't know who your your target customers are. And we, we you know, peel the onion back and then start working from there and really getting that person comfortable. Um, I, I love it when people, and Katie, you were like this, you knew this is what I want, want to do. Like you could, you saw the vision, you knew the path to getting there uh, and you started working through that. And I think you work through it, you and others will work through it and then you're going to find places where you can refine and that's okay. And one thing I would say is when you are fearful or you feel that, you're not sure of something, bring others in to help, you know, give you some ideas and most of all, push you beyond that. Right. Like I, I feel like having that team of personal advisors get you past that fear level and that shame level of money. And then, you know, then you can move forward. But until then it's tough. I mean, I think what you're raising is so important for any industry and not just business, like taking the time to do the self work, to figure out what it is you want, what's the vision you have, not just for the work, but what's the vision you have for yourself. And then what are those pitfalls or conversations you need to have internally to mm -hmm. make sure that you're not going to get in your own way. And that can yeah. be really, that can be really scary. And especially when there's, I would imagine a thousand other things going on when you're balancing, as we talked about at the beginning, balancing being a mom or balancing, just trying to get your books together for your business, taking time to set aside to, you know, journal and have conversations with yourself is not always where I think most people want to spend spend time. And it's important I, too. Like I've just had to learn. I've been drugged through the mud. I told both of you this, and this is not a secret. The past three years in, have been very, very difficult. There've been some really awesome, amazing highs, but mm -hmm. the lows were this had the same magnitude. Like the lows get mm -hmm. really, really low. And when you go through that now being coming through the other side and feeling great and, you know, re being reinvigorated, you kind of get this chip on your shoulder, right? Like I've been through it. I've taken the hits. I've been curb checked. 
And you sometimes forget why you started or you forget what the vision really was. And that was happening to me probably the end of 2019. I was super jaded and just angry and salty just from what I had to go through. And so Mm -hmm. having that time for me in the morning in prayer and in meditation and just getting alone with my thoughts and journaling has saved my life because Mm. I need to be connected and be aligned to really what you said before, know my purpose and to continue every single day or otherwise I just would have been out here throwing bows, like really, really mad at everybody. (laughs) You're doing Krav Maga on people. (laughs) Yes. Um, It, you know, it's so layered and, and so I want to also, I've had this conversation a lot in the last couple of weeks, just with everything going on. There are a lot of people who want to jump ship and leave their corporate job and start a business, you know, and I think part of it is just the frustration people you're either running to something or away from something. And I think a good portion of folks that I'm talking to, they're running away from this corporate monster like it's it's heavy for black Americans right now um, in corporate America. And one of the things that, you know, I'm having this conversation just around sometimes it's not the right time to start your business, especially, again, if you don't have a business uh, in mind, I, I, one of the things in wealth building, don't leave corporate America or a job too early. You might be giving up the 401k matches. You might be giving up opportunities to learn skills that you will that will be transferable once you start your own business. But I think some people are leaving a, a oh, little bit I left too, way too sure. Early. And the again, the skill sets that you learn. You know, I didn't have this this uh, thought until this year. So just working with people, and one of the things I realized with a lot of um, some uh, entrepreneurs is that they haven't managed people, right? If you mm-hmm. haven't managed people and you start a company, some of the challenges they have is because they're professionally immature. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, I mean, over time, you you work through that and through some situations, you'll work through that. But I realized had they stayed in their job a little bit longer and had mentors in that job helping them through, they would have been more prepared to handle that at the, in their business. And, and that's one thing that's sprouting up left and right, uh, and so if people are in business, the one thing I would say is get an executive coach as early as possible. Um, just having that person to talk to as you work through things. But that, you know, leadership and understanding how to manage people, especially through times like these and being able to balance your business and profit along with the lives of the people that uh, that are your employees and then their families. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people you know, if you haven't had to address hard conversations, I've seen some entrepreneurs just not do it because they don't know how to, and that backfires. Yeah. And so part of it too is make sure you're not too premature in the entrepreneurship. It is, I think we've glorified it so much for people yes. and it is, it's not for the faint of heart <laughs> or those that don't have everything they need to, to pursue. Now, having said that, I think if you're meant to do what you're going to do, it'll all work out. And the people that are around you that, that you need to be successful, they will come and help you. But you've got to be professionally mature to know how to manage that. I just want to second what you said about having an executive coach and someone to have these conversations with. I got a coach, I want to say maybe four or five years ago, and she has challenged me and challenged my ideas around management and business in ways that I never thought imaginable. I mean, to be honest, I used to think, you know, here I have this manager. My manager should have all the answers. They should be able to clearly articulate what it is they want from me. There should be like no confusion. They should have a vision it's outlined and I'm ready to execute. 
That has not happened in any job that I have worked <laughs> in. And I found myself, I would get so mad at, um, at them to the point where I just like, I don't even like this person as a person. Like, I, don't, I don't even want to be around them. And it took me sort of working with my coach, my coach yeah. Mara, who helped me see, actually, these are like humans too. And maybe they're not meant yeah. to have all the answers. Maybe you have answers. And it would be much more helpful if you could find a way to present them or really mm-hmm. understanding and unpacking, like, what's the baggage and the things that I'm bringing that I can't even mm-hmm. give others grace to allow us to come up with a good product together. And so mm-hmm. I highly recommend, even if you, you know, maybe if financially you can't afford a coach, having somebody that you can ask these questions to, that you can practice difficult conversations and somebody that's going to call you out on your shit. Like sometimes yeah. it's okay to vent. Other times you're just being ridiculous. And mm-hmm. having somebody to say that to you and help you work through it, I think is just so huge for growing as a professional, whether you're working for somebody else or you're working for yourself. Yeah. I mean, one thing you said, grace, we have got to give each other more grace uh, just in general. Um not just because of what's going on now, I think just as humans, and you mentioned, you know, title doesn't mean leadership, right? You know, some people rise in business because they're bringing a certain skill set that the business needs. It doesn't mean that they're a true leader or have everything, like you mentioned, that you expect them to have. And so being able to have grace in those situations, to be honest and work towards a healthy communication style with whoever you're working with. I think that's the important thing. Yeah, I think that's the important thing. And I want to plug Black Girl Ventures because one of the things they're doing right now, whether you're an entrepreneur or, uh, you know, a Black woman in corporate America, there's co-working uh, Wednesdays. They have open discussions on Fridays. If anyone is looking for a community of people that are going through similar challenges, I would definitely look at Black Girl Ventures, particularly the BGV Connect programming. Um, it is, I think, you know, $15 a month, but probably one of the best um, resources I think that's out there right now for black women. I love it. I am so glad we're having this conversation because how we show up in every space impacts what happens in that space. Mm-hmm. And especially in business, I learned that all of your strengths are magnified, but all of your weaknesses are really magnified, especially when you're leading people. And I love the book, The Five Love Languages. And there's Mm -hmm. actually a book about the business world or the workplace love languages. Because as a leader, you have to know everybody's love language and what they Mm -hmm. need to really make them thrive and make them, you know, be successful and be a working component of your organization. And all of these things, these aren't conversations that we're having. I wasn't having them because whether I was embarrassed Mm -hmm. or you don't want to admit that you're not, you know, you might be lacking in a certain area. And so these conversations are so critical to open the door to be great in business, especially for women. Yeah, I I mean, so I the love the business leveling. I love that. Um, and, and, And you need to understand what drives someone. So I have an interesting story, a guy that I used to mentor, um, and now we're more peers, I actually work for him in, in a capacity. Um, I'm driven by the people and the connection of people and making sure people move to that next level. So anything for me is, if it's not helping people, I, I have a hard time relating to it. But I'm driven by, oh my God, this will, if we can get 100 people hired, I'm excited and I'm, I'm in. Um, for him, it, it, he has kind of a, a two uh, level. One is he's financially motivated. And then the second is people motivated. And so when we talk, I have to talk in terms of financial numbers to him. And he mm-hmm. talks in terms of people impacted mm-hmm. to me. But 
as a team, we're unstoppable in doing that. And so I think to your point, one is knowing the love languages of those around you. The other is understanding how this, those strengths of those love languages together as a team can really propel whatever mission or business, whether it's an organization or corporation or even, you know, an initiative uh, to help you move forward. But that's a great point. And I think to that, I would just add also recognizing that the motivations don't have to be the same and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my background's in public health and I think a lot of folks in public health come from, you know, we just want better communities. We want all good things for all people. And now that public health is expanding to bring in new partners like corporations and the private sector, there are folks who come in with financial motivations. And like mm-hmm. you said, people may be second, people may be third, fourth, or the fifth motivation. And yeah. I think recognizing that there's still some space to find a common ground, if we can acknowledge what are those drivers are, then we can shape, you know, shape whatever the intervention is together. But it's okay that we're coming at it from different perspectives. And there's value in that. Versus trying to make every one of your partner think the same way that you do. Exactly. And get and get and don't be afraid to get personal. Right. You know, a lot of people, they say, don't talk politics or whatever. Uh, I don't know all the I don't know all the things you shouldn't do because I always talk about those things. Right. (laughs) It's like politics and religion or something like that. Religion, whatever it is. I I, for me, I always want to get to know the people that I work with down to who, you know, if you have kids, if you're you are an animal lover, what's your dog's name? What park do you take them to? You know, how were you raised? Where were you raised? What are the values that you have? Um, because you never know what people are going through. And if you can work to down to the personalization of their job and the personalization of what they want to do, you'll get more out of them. And it'll be a better experience for, for all people involved. But I would say don't be afraid to get to personally know someone. And if people are closed off to that, you know, that may signal something else. But get to know them personally. Yeah. So you're clearly all about impact, all about taking things to the next level. So what does the next level look like for you? What's next mm-hmm. with all the things that you're working on? So I I am I am one of those people who I understand that this time sucks. It is terrible. I hate that we've come to where we are, but we are here. And there is no way but up that I see. You know, I think I think we have such an opportunity to make this an America that truly is accessible for all people, truly accessible to get there. We need every single leader to do their job, every single leader to dig a little bit deeper and, you know, become a little bit more personal to challenge the status quo. I think there are systemic issues that we just need to break those systems down and rebuild them or, you know, fix, if they're fixable, fix them, but it's going to take everyone's input. And that's going to require conversations that have never happened in the workplace, you know, to this politics, religion, race. Um, and we see now that that CEOs are, are having these town halls, they're having these conversations, they're at least creating a space for people to be their true selves, right? And I think you see a lot of uh, African Americans or Black people, I don't want to say African American, <clears throat> and Latinas that are stepping up to say, wow, I've never felt the the uh, I've never had the opportunity to bring my full self to work. And thank you for giving me the space to share. Step one, we're, we're getting there. That's great. Step two now is to really put these uh, initiatives in place and making sure that we're moving people through promotions, making sure that we're giving people access to education that they haven't had, making sure that we include people in clinical trials and you know other health initiatives, making sure that we are moving money, the capital in all communities, not just one community. Um, but this is going to take 
partnership, which is something that I love uh, and I talk about all the time. We're really going to need to get some people at the table uh, that tables that haven't existed before and have this conversation and start just changing how we interact and how we support one another. And so I'm super excited about the opportunity. I'm super excited about being in the position to push people and challenge people, to bring people to the table, to announce things like Black Girl uh, Ventures and others. Uh, and then have people put their money where their mouth is. And and to be honest, those who aren't are not going to be part of this new America that we have. Those who are not. So, I mean, we're starting to see people getting fired for what they're saying that's not in alignment of cohesiveness, uh, which I think is great. So that accountability, we're going to have to now as a community, now as a people, now as corporations, hold everyone accountable. So I'm, I'm excited to see where we go um, and excited to be playing a role in this change. Katie and I were just talking about the accountability factor with so many companies making statements about Black Lives Matter, um, being outraged over the murder of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. But many of these statements don't include a list of actions that they will specifically And I think this is the moment where if you've made this statement, we need to be following up. We need to be holding you accountable and seeing what happens in the next 30 days, six months, a year. Um, What have you done for black and brown communities? What have you done for your employees Mm -hmm. um, of color? I just want to say, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, you know, we had a a conversation on the board for Black Girl Ventures the other day, and I love Shelly Bell. She's just amazing. She said, you know, if you want to donate, great. Give me the money and get out my way. Yeah, (laughs) we want we we do. We do want people to engage, though. Right. If you engage the community, you're going to start seeing different results, better results and really start seeing the 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 access to capital open up and start seeing businesses. The numbers change in terms of businesses that start businesses that sustain, businesses that scale and can get acquired, particularly around black and brown women, you're going to see that increase because everyone is doing their part. But if you just want to donate, that's great. But move out the way and don't say anything. Donate and go on. But if you want to donate and engage, trust me, your businesses, your, your, and and it's, it's been a lot of the black employees who have pushed and brought, you know, these initiatives to the table. So I would just say if you're, you know, a CEO, just be open-minded and be ready to, to go to work alongside amazing organizations. So if our listeners want to find out about Black Girl Ventures or they want to partner with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Um, so I'm really active on LinkedIn, uh, Christina Francis uh, on LinkedIn. For Black Girl Ventures, I would have them start following at Black Girl Ventures on Instagram. Um, the Black Girl Ventures content game and digital marketing is outstanding. Um, they have a great team. Uh so follow them on Instagram, Facebook. And again, if you if there are black women that are in corporate America or thinking of starting a business or in business, I would urge them to absolutely look at Black Girl Ventures as a resource. Um, and if they're a corporation, um, you can reach out to me at Christina at BlackGirlVentures.org, uh, particularly for Black Girl Ventures. And if there are folks that want to engage in the fund, it's uh, Christina at TheMarathonFund.com. Thank you so much for your time. I could talk to you, I think, for the next five days and still have more to talk about. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate all that you do. Who you are as a woman and as a friend. So thank you for being on Checkbox Outreach. Thank you all. This was great. Love the conversation. It's time for action. Checkbox Outreach is more than a podcast and simply putting a check in a box. This is about impact and moving the needle. Aaliyah and Katie, what are the next steps? All right, Aaliyah. I... Loved, loved, loved the episode. And then clearly we had the bright idea, like let's really support what Christina was mentioning in the episode with data. 
And now I'm pissed off by looking at all the data that's really backing everything that we talked about in the episode. Yeah, I feel the same way. I When you reached out and you were like, instead of us using this as a time to talk about all the things we should do, we should really focus on the data about what's happening to black women in this country. I was going through article after article and I was like, I don't want to read this shit. Like this... It is depressing and it's frustrating and I feel like I don't I don't I just don't understand like what it's going to take for us to actually get serious about doing something about it. Yeah. And I so I think this back end piece really should be the state of black women in America and the structures and the systems and the institutions and the behaviors that have put black women where we are just really needs to be magnified and highlighted. And we need to start addressing those same structures, systems, institutions, whatever I just said, to actually start making some headway in this space. Well, then let's get into it. I can tell you what I found. Um, I started by just taking a look at women in poverty. And I thought, I was like, oh, I could sit here and just tell you how many black women are in poverty. But I thought what would be more interesting would be to think about, you know, once you're in poverty, what is the likelihood of being able to get out of it? And I found from a Brookings study that black women are 62% more likely to be stuck in poverty. And that surpasses even the 50%, which is the number uh, of the risk for black men being likely to be stuck in poverty. It also talked about how for many families, Uh, Many black families depend on black women's earnings and over 80% of black mothers are actually the breadwinners in families, yet their earnings lag severely behind. Black women and Hispanic women are the most affected by the wage gap. In fact, black women only earn 66%, I repeat that, 66% of what white men do. And so when we talk about like ladders of mobility and opportunities to generate wealth, you're starting from such a gap that even when we have jobs, the pay we're getting is not even close to what it needs to be to be helping us care for our families and take on greater opportunities. For sure. And two things. So one, I was looking at a CNBC article and those numbers that you mentioned, it said the disparity is present regardless of education, location, age, and it persists in both low and high wage jobs. And taking a step back, looking at, we always say this, income is your biggest predictor of health and quality of life, whether that's health in the financial sense, the physical sense, the emotional sense, the behavioral sense. It is, it's what talks, right? And money leads the way. And we have to be addressing these inequities among women and among black women. And I looked at wealth among women. And according to the 2015 Asset Funders Network report, the median, which granted, this is the median, so not the mean. So let's, you can talk about your statistics or whatever you want in the analysis later. Um, But the median wealth among white single women was $15,640. The median wealth among black and Latino women was $200 and $100 respectively. Like that made me want to punch somebody in their face, Aaliyah. I can't, like $200 and $100 respectively. And I'm going to be super transparent right now. Like I've had to do some like net worth assessments when you look at capital, which I want to talk about in a second. I have crazy student loans still. And so my net worth is like, if it could be negative, it would be negative. And we have to have these conversations about what that means for opportunity in our country. So 
I was actually just sitting around the dinner table with my cousin and we were talking about wealth in our family and specifically around home ownership. And there's a piece of property from when my grandma passed away. And it's like the one home, like the one home we have in our house. And I mean, in our family and everyone is trying to find a way to figure out how do we all contribute so that this piece of property can actually be passed down for generations. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, like how many, like how many white families are having this conversation where there's one home, like one home we're talking about passing down all these other people live in homes, but like many of us for generations have just not been homeowners. And do you look at that wealth is tied to home ownership and property? Our tax system is agrarian based and it's based on property. And so you just look at these things and these, again, these systems that have us where we are, it makes me really, really angry. Not to cut you off. No, another thing that made me super angry as a new mom, um, one of the things I wanted to look at was the state of black women's health and found some troubling statistics around pregnancy and maternal morbidity. Um, This one came from the CDC, but black women in the United States are three to five times more likely to die from pregnancy or postpartum issues than white women. Black women are also two times more likely to experience severe maternal morbidity which the CDC defines as adverse health conditions caused or worsened by pregnancy, such as cardiac arrest um, or heavy bleeding. And I remember reading like a lot of these different stories where women talked about issues that they were having during their pregnancy. And when they went to their doctors and talked about what was going on, they were often met with, oh, okay, just go home and, you know, maybe go on bed rest or you're fine. Nothing's happening. And then many of these women ended up having miscarriages and just thinking about like as a. I don't know, as a mom and going through this, it's already like a huge change in your life. So many things are going on. You don't know who to ask. You don't know what's right with your body, what feels okay, what doesn't, what's off, what's okay. And to go to your healthcare provider, seeking and trusting them, but also having a space and an institution and a system where black women's health has been ignored, where there have been, you know, many different studies or treatments or things that have gone on that have used black women as subjects, but not provided them with greater medical care. And just how all of that then results in disparities within our pregnancy outcome. And again, that's for both higher wage and lower wage earners. And their NPR did a really awesome series on maternal health in our country. And when I when I talked about the keynote I did for Good Shepherd Housing, I mentioned this article that there was a lady who literally studied social determinants of health for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and ended up dying for childbirth complications two years after her child was born. And so it doesn't discriminate based on your income. It discriminates because of the systems and what our society has put mandates on. Right. Or put emphasis on. And there was a really good meme and it said online that doctors are to black women what police officers are to black men and at first I was like wait pause full stop but it's true like when you look at the health care that we receive and the understanding or the belief that we can tolerate more pain that we are not like what Christina talked about in clinical trials we're not involved in trials so therefore the efficacy of drugs and procedures may not be the same it's just this compounding thing that we need to address to actually, again, bring about real change. Um, The other thing, so I looked at HIV because I think HIV is one of the things that sometimes goes 
it's not talked about as much anymore, right? I think people think that it's not prevalent, but according to a 2018 CDC surveillance report, among new diagnoses, heterosexual white women had 999 new cases. And this is a 2018 surveillance report, 999. Heterosexual black or African-American women had 3,768 cases. So that's 3.77 times higher. That means that we look at poverty, what we just talked about. That means we look at education. We look at access to resources. It is different for the black community and for black women. Don't forget access to health care. Yeah. Yep. And insurance. And I mean, it is, I think that's the challenge. Some of these issues are so complex, but I think the complexity has instead of, you know, motivating us to do something or figuring out how we break down silos to take more comprehensive action. I think instead, sometimes the complexity paralyzes us. And I think yep. what Christina was pointing out is we have a real opportunity to get this right. We know the policies that work. It's time we do something about it. I did want to say before we move away from health, another thing I looked at, so I'm not sure how many people know, but this week was Black Breastfeeding Week. And it was really a campaign to call attention to the importance of normalizing breastfeeding, especially in the black community. And one of the things that the CDC had put out was that only 69.4% of black mothers have ever breastfed their infants as compared to almost 86% of white mothers. And how part of that has to do with a stigma. Some of it has to do with, you know, being provided information when we're in the hospital that actually talks about breastfeeding and breastfeeding supports versus automatically going to here's free formula. Um, And so even just starting from the very beginning as mothers, like what do we need in order to not only care for ourselves, but also to provide our children, our young children with the nourishment and the nutrition they need. And not just the cost savings. And it's completely Mm -hmm. upside down when you look at breastfeeding rates among who does it. Wealthier white women typically tend to breastfeed. I mean, that's just hands down because the education is there. And it's it's definitely you look at the impacts of having to purchase formula and what that means on black and brown communities, it's just another thing that makes me very angry, Aaliyah. (laughs) But all of this ties into our health, our finances, our income, all contributes to how we show up in a space, right? Like how available we are. Are we in survival mode? Can we contribute to our communities? Can we be philanthropists? And when you look at entrepreneurship and you look at black business, Black women were, I I don't even know the rate, but black women started businesses at like astronomical rates compared to any other group. And I looked at an article that was talking about the impacts of COVID-19. And this podcast was a result of my frustrations with the minority resources that were Mm -hmm. unavailable during the beginning of COVID-19. And through and through, like black capital is always just typically more expensive. Whether you want to even look at what we're just talking about with buying baby formula, it's more expensive for the black community. And when you look at business, when you look at the traditional routes, we talked about friends and family rounds for, you know, capital for getting your business up and going. The some research I looked at said that black business owners typically have to rely on their personal credit cards. And when you look at interest rates and payback options and maxing them out, what your available credit is, our capital is much more expensive, which therefore impacts our profits. And so we're always going to be at a disadvantage in that business conversation. 
Um, another thing was that looking at the PPP funding that was available for COVID, it really relied heavily on your banking relationship. And when we look again at the systems and the policies and the practices within black and brown communities, we typically, one, don't have banks in our, in our communities. We haven't established those relationships. And then when you look at bias, when a black person, and especially when a black woman walks through that door, we typically have higher interest rates and we typically do not get the full amount of funding that we've requested. And the, the research is out there. There's just so many different research and data points that I was getting frustrated and overwhelmed. A lot of it's old, but we have to address this. Like we mm -hmm. have to look at the systems. We have to look at the policies and how are we, what are our local policies, our state policies, and our federal policies around banking, looking at CDFI, community development finance institutions, and how do we make capital more impactful and more affordable for black and brown business owners? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. We could go on and on. We've just touched on health. We've just touched on wealth and entrepreneurship. But I mean, we could talk about the statistics in education. We could talk about the statistics in criminal justice. I mean... I was watching CNN this morning, and I forget her name, but she is the president of the WNBA Association. And she was being asked questions, and her response was, if you ever had any confusion about the state of black women in this country and how black women are viewed, just look at the fact that the cops who killed Breonna Taylor still haven't been arrested. Yeah. And I was like, mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Got, and like, even, like, I mean, because it's right there there's just no other or greater picture of the fact that when we devalue black women in our society that is the reason why the investments that are needed aren't being made in the way that they should be and just saying like oh i'm going to invest in community isn't enough we need to be specific and we need to be targeted and using data like this and using the lived experiences of black women in order to shape programs that are actually going to result in meaningful change. Yeah, and Christina laid out awesome roadmaps in the episode, whether it's supplier diversity or getting more access to venture capital. We've now given the data and the facts, and we could give data for days and days and days, but there's no excuse now to say, I didn't know, I didn't understand the magnitude, I didn't understand the complexities. So now it's, it's time to march and it's time to move forward and do things differently let the data inform you and let's change the conversation and ultimately change the outcome. <laughs> You're on mute. I'm nodding my head and nobody can see. I'm like over here like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm like, it's just me. <laughs> all good, all good. I will be marching with you, Katie. Okay, let's do it. Thank you for listening to Checkbox Outreach. Our episodes are available on iTunes, on Spotify, as well as our website. We can also be found on Twitter at Disrupt Outreach.